The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I love the holiday season. So like Thanksgiving comes around and it's very easy to become a very theme driven where all of a sudden a message about gratitude or, or being grateful uh, comes to the surface. And, and that's not a bad thing. That would actually be a, a great thing. And, uh, but this morning there was something stirring in my spirit specifically. And I, I, I want to share that. Uh, before we do, I want to offer something that, uh, that was on my heart. I mean, I, I believe it's a, a word. Now, one of the wonderful things about God's word is it speaks individually and, and corporately. So when you offer a, a word from the scripture as, as a freestanding word to minister, it, it, it can be something that ministers to an individual that you have no idea what it is they're facing or dealing with. You have no idea how it even makes sense to them, but rather just the faithfulness in bringing the word and presenting it uh, has a, a, a potency and a power to it that, that is really a blessing. Uh, so I want to offer this to you, and I really want to trust that for the one that it's meant for, uh, that the, the Spirit of God reveals that and confirms that. Uh, but this is the word. It comes from Hosea. Break up your fallow ground, for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. Break up your fallow ground. It's time to seek the Lord until he comes to rain righteousness on you. I mean, I, I want to give my thoughts on that, and then I want the word to just speak for itself. The idea of breaking up fallow ground, we don't use the word fallow uh, very often, but fallow just meaning wild. Something new. God is saying something new being stirred, being, being uh, churned and turned over. And in this process, in this time, seek God until he rains righteousness on you. That communicates to me that there's, it's a process. It's something that's going to take time. Don't give up on it. Hang in there. Continue to press and pursue and trust that God will do what he's stirred in your spirit that he's bringing to pass. Hang in there, in, in, uh, uh, for a lack of a better phrase there, because God will deliver. He will come and he will reign righteousness. But those new things that are going on, it can be scary to step into new things. The breaking up of fallow ground is hard work. I've actually done that before. I remember once uh, uh, being asked to take a position on a farm that had, was breaking pasture land out into farmland. And so we, we had purchased at what was at the time the most powerful uh, commercial uh, uh, tractor that you could buy. It was a track tractor in the biggest plow that you could, you could buy at the time. And we began to break this land out of, of ranch land into farmland. We destroyed more equipment. That ground was so hard. The things that were, were rooted in it had been there so long. You would have to stop halfway through every pass and, and break off the, the yucca roots that were stuck onto the shanks of the plow. They looked like giant yams. And you'd have to take them and, 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 and you would have to beat them with hammers. You'd take axes and saws and cut them off. The point is, is it's a lot of work to break out ground that has not been broken out before. And I look at this and I remember that and I just think, you know, this word could be for me, it could be for someone else, but you are working and you are working very hard doing something new. Hang in there, continue to seek God, he will deliver and come and rain down that righteousness. And I promise you, when that takes place, you will celebrate. Uh, so I want to get, uh, move on from that and get into the word here. 
We come up on the Thanksgiving holiday. I don't know what all stirs in your heart as Thanksgiving comes your way. Uh, there's a few things that are real traditional, right? I mean, I don't know if you're given to tradition, if there are things that you really uh, get into, so to speak. I know some people that are very tradition-driven people, and I, I don't know that I'm one of them, but I do know I like the holidays. So uh, as we get into the, the word this morning, I want us to consider a certain aspect of, of what the holidays you know, mean and what they, they do. And, and oftentimes when we consider a holiday like Thanksgiving, it involves family. I mean, when you look around and you know there's some people that aren't here, they're, they're out. Well, the, they're probably out visiting family because one of the things that we do around this time of year is get together with family. I, I want to talk this morning in the scripture about uh, the family of God. And there's a couple of things that we're going to identify as we, uh, as we get through that. Here's some things that we'll find in the word as we move through the word together. We're going to find one, what everyone is. Now, this isn't necessarily a passage of scripture. It's just more of a, a reality and a truth. What everyone is. Another thing that we're going to find is what God made everyone to be. Now, you're part of everyone, so what God made you to be. Uh, it's, it's going to seem a little bit uh, uh, simple when we get to it, but I promise you it's a powerful truth and, and revelation. And then another thing that we're going to find is what God has done and is doing. I mean, there's something that God has done and is doing, and you have to just know and understand that God is, is at work in all of our lives. So uh, we're going to get to those things as we get through the Word. So I want to jump right in and identify what everyone is. Now, this isn't a turn in your Bibles to. This is just more of, of a revealing of where we're going with this. Everyone in this room is somebody's child. I mean, there's nobody in this room that just kind of, you know, landed here from Mars, right? Or, or just appeared. So no matter what our age is, we all know that, that we have been somebody's child. At, at some uh, a moment in time, you were born into this world of parents. You may have never known your parents. You may have never met your parents. Your parents may still be a big part of your life. Your parents may not be a part of your life at all. One thing is for certain, at some point, you were somebody's child. So I want to consider that as something that everyone in the room can relate to. Young or old, everyone can relate to the truth that you're someone's child. What does it mean to be a child? I want to go to a, a, a dictionary definition, and it'll be very simple. But when we consider that everyone in the room is somebody's child, and we look up the definition of child, it's, it's pretty revealing of who we all are. So here's a, 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 excuse me, a definition of the word uh, children or child. A son or daughter, a person between birth and full growth. A son or daughter, a person between birth and full growth. Now, I want to just say this, and I want to keep this really simple. And this isn't, you know, Pastor Preston's opportunity to get a, a political jab in or something like that. I really try not to use our Sunday morning time to, to express personal opinions. This is an observation, however. This is a basic truth. Do you see that this basic truth is beginning to come under attack? I mean, the idea that, that being someone's child means being a son or a daughter. I mean, there are people that are being suspended from their positions or fired from their positions for saying something as basic and simple as there are only two genders. It's pretty bizarre. 
Now, I'm not offering that to, to introduce any kind of a, a, a debate or anything along those lines, rather to say, we're going to look at something that's so basic and foundational, and yet the times that we live in, this basic foundational truth is under attack, we ought to be mindful of that. I mean, the word says that if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? And right now, the foundations are under attack. So as we look at this and we see that, that based on the definition, at least today's definition, which is subject to change because definitions are being changed as we speak, a son or a daughter, a person between birth and full growth. I love that then this identity is revealed that, that should be an encouragement to everyone. A person between. A person between birth and full growth. I mean, the fact that I am a child is something that is... is uh, a little bit degrading to be said. I mean, if my wife said you're acting like a child, I don't think that's an encouraging thing, right? Probably not. But the reality is we are all children, and that puts us all somewhere between the beginning and the end, which means that we're all in this state of progressing, all in the midst of uh, this process that would end in maturity or full growth. Now I want to get into the, the Bible, step away from the dictionary and get into the Bible and look at, at children in the scripture. Now there are some things, that, some places that we go to in our mind. You know, Jesus was very uh, uh, aware of children. And you'll see throughout the scripture that he was very connected to children. In fact, I really think that it's impossible to be like Jesus unless you can say, let the children come to me. I mean, Jesus was very aware of children and, and the wonderful, powerful call on their lives. When they were pushed to the side, he said, no, let them come. Uh, he would invoke the blessing on their lives. I mean, he was very much a, a, a kid's guy. He, he liked the kids. So when we look at the scripture here, we see things like that. He also identified that we can't get into the kingdom unless we become like children. But I want to look at a, a, a little bit of a deeper dive into the idea of children in the scripture. And we're going to start here in uh, the, uh, the letter of John, 1 John I want to look at 1 John chapter 3. I want to look at verse 10. Now in 1 John chapter 3 verse 10, you're going to see something written, something identified here. Now first and foremost, you need to understand that any righteousness in your life, any identity of righteousness in your life is absolute and comes from Jesus. So that being said and that being out of the way, this passage of scripture is not meant to be thrown out there as any kind of a launching pad for debate or, or any kind of a stumbling block. Rather, the scripture is identifying two types of children. And we'll let the scripture speak for itself. So if you find the 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. I mean, I like to just pause right there and just say, wow, that's a pretty, you know, bold separation of, of groups. I mean, you've got two groups here, one being the children of God, the other being the children of the devil. Uh, this is a, a pretty amazing separation of, of, of one mass into two groups. And so we see what makes this distinction, what, what makes this separation from one group to the next. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we see the practicing of righteousness and the love for one another as identifying a certain group of people, and that group of people being the children of God. Now let me make this very clear, just so that this is understood. 
The practicing of righteousness and the loving of one another is not what makes an individual a child of God. It is what a child of God does. It's the result of being a child of God. It's almost like, you know, an apple doesn't make the, the, the tree, rather the seed that God would sow makes the tree that then makes the apple. This is the fruit. This is the result of being made into a child of God. I, I like this word, and I think this word is the right word, and I offer it to you. It's the evidence. When the work of God is taking place in our life, it has an impact, and that impact produces results, and those results are revealed in words and actions and thoughts, and those words and actions and thoughts being the words and actions and thoughts of Jesus, righteous, loving. I'll give you a passage of scripture here from Ephesians that talks about our call to function as children of God. Ephesians chapter 5, I want to look at verses 8 through 10. Ephesians 5, beginning in verse 8. It says, you were formerly darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. So walk as children of light, uh, bearing the fruit that consists of light, that is goodness and righteousness and truth, and trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Now, I include this passage of Scripture for a couple of reasons. One, because it's a really great, powerful passage of Scripture that reveals what children of light produce when you see you know, goodness and righteousness and truth. But I love the, the passage in how it, it closes that those that are, are children of light trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. I, I'm really glad that the word trying is in there. I mean, to try means to make an intentional effort, right? You really can't try to do something without making an attempt on purpose. So our lives are given to this attempt, this intentional attempt to do the things that are pleasing to God. When we look at the choices and the decisions that we have, the things that, that we face and deal with, we're given opportunity after opportunity to do the things, or at least try to do the things, that are pleasing to God. Do you remember a, a little bit, I don't want to refer to it necessarily as a movement, maybe more of a trend, but the what would Jesus do trend? You know, the bracelets and the t-shirts and the, the bumper stickers and all those things. A, a wonderful trend. It's a really great reality to, to make that a, a, a motto or a pursuit. But it's really more of an issue of the heart than it is a bracelet or a bumper sticker. I mean, to consider what Jesus would do and then make that be your word or, or your action in a situation is a matter of your heart. And in this situation, what we see here is that those that are trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord are walking in this result of being born of God. I want to give you another passage of scripture here because this one to me is one that reveals a really great thing that Jesus makes available to every person. And I want to read the passage to you. I'd like for you to turn there if you have your Bibles. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. I want to look at verses 12 and 13. John 1, 12 and 13. Now it opens up with, with this statement. As many as received him... Him being Jesus, as many as received him. I mean, I pause right there and I have to ask this question. Is this a group of people who have received Jesus? Well, the answer is yes. As many as received him. This is a group of people that received Jesus. As many as received him, to them, to those who received him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, born not of, of blood nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. When we become born again, Jesus gives us and bestows upon us the right to become children of God. What is that right? What does that mean? Well, I want to offer this to you, and I'm not offering this to you as a doctrine. I'm offering this to you as an opinion, an opinion that's been lived out and proven in my life, that for the first time ever, once I was born again, I had the power to choose. I had the power to choose to do what God would ask me to do or the, the, the power to choose to rebel. There was a time before I was born again where even if I wanted to choose what was right, there was no authority behind my actions, no authority behind my words. There was no power behind my actions, no power behind my words. I'll give you a, an example of this, and it was a time when addiction gripped my life in a really terrible way. Uh, alcohol had a massive hold on my life. It wasn't enjoyable. I hated it. I mean, I, I would burst out into tears and, 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 and go into to fits of, of cleaning out my house of all alcohol and pouring things out and getting rid of it and making these declarations never again. And then just hours later would be back at the liquor store. Even the things that I wanted to change, I couldn't change because I didn't have the power. And then Jesus came into my life. The moment I became born again, all of the sudden, my words, my actions, my decisions, all of the things that I would release through my life had power, had authority. And I would say and do the same thing, only this time there was the power and authority for it to be enforced. I mean, when I poured out my booze after Jesus, they stay poured out. That was my experience, and that was my result, and, and I'm offering that to you just as an example to back up what I believe when I read this passage of Scripture, that I came into Jesus, was born again, and then I had the right to operate and function as a child of God. It's a choice and a decision. The choices and the decisions that we make as Christians are empowered. They're empowered by the authority of the name of Jesus. They're empowered by the power of the Holy Ghost. They're also empowered by your will to choose. Your choice and your decision. Now, this is really where the rubber meets the road and there's the duty of responsibility. And this is something that we really don't enjoy. I know I sure don't. And most of the conversations that I've had where, where there's been any element of conflict, where there's need for, for some sort of choice or decision to be introduced to bring resolution or a result that would be desirable, I don't really like realizing that my choice and my decision maybe causes the dysfunction in the first place. We tend to want to dodge responsibility. I mean, if I've ever misbehaved or, or I've ever sinned in error, those are situations and circumstances that aren't really enjoyable to have brought to light. Have you ever noticed that a person's tendency, and, and some are worse than others, is to be defensive? I know my tendency is to be defensive. When something is revealed to me that I'm responsible for producing that's not desirable or that's unproductive, my tendency is to want to find some other place to pass the blame to. That's everyone's tendency in, in some measure, and you can see that from the very beginning. You can go back to Genesis, look at Adam and Eve, and it's kind of a natural response to facing and dealing with responsibility. But then when we're able to come to the place where there's a strength and a security to, to, and a humbleness of heart to own up to those things, to surrender, to, to be humble and to walk in a way in which we can function and operate under the power and the authority of God, there's hope that in the midst of being responsible for error, 
there can be redemption. There can be change. There can be transformation. Now, it's, it sounds like something that's really complex and complicated, but it's really not. And sometimes when you can just give examples, they can just hit home. I mean, I remember facing and dealing with issues of sin in my life and wrestling with whether or not to go to the altar. Now, this is an interesting example because we've kind of been removed from it. The past couple of years here that have been socially distanced and hands-off, you know, there's really not been the opening of the altar for ministry. I don't like that. I mean, I remember a time when there would be, you know, ministry and during praise and worship, an opportunity for, hey, listen, if there's anything that you're struggling with or anything that you're needing or anything that you need God to do in your life, we're going to open the altar and our ministry team will be present to, to meet with you and, and agree with you in prayer. And to and you would see people step forward, and when they would step forward, they would receive ministry, and, and you would trust and believe that God was at work. Well, that's an element that's kind of been put on pause in the church, and I think that's really bad. I mean, we can still minister to each other, and ministry can still take place, and all of those things can happen. I, I don't think that, that God has had you know, one arm tied behind his back. I think he's at work in all of our lives. But what I remember is responding to the call to ministry, me personally, and what all took place, the wrestling match in my heart and the wrestling match in my mind. I mean, I remember dealing with things that maybe I was ashamed of or embarrassed of, and, and you would know that you needed to go forward and get ministry for that, but, but you know... God's big, and he can handle that just, just between me and him, and, and so I, I'm good. And, and you'd sit there and, and, and convince yourself that you didn't need to, and, and, and then the song was over, and the ministry was over, and the moment was gone. But God's merciful, gracious, and there will be another moment, or at least we trust and believe and hope there will be. And then there were the times when, when you didn't talk yourself out of it, when you did step up and you went and, and you, whether it was a confession or whether it was a, a, a statement of, of a need or something, and, and you received that ministry and that confirmation in a very biblical and, and, and righteous way, and it, it was a relief. You felt a burden lifted. You felt a, a liberation. And all of that was the result of, of trusting and believing that there's hope for redemption. That shame doesn't win, but rather Jesus wins. And I look at this and I see in the scripture here that this right that's offered to us to function like the children of God is very much released through our choices and decisions. I mean, your identity as a believer, as someone who's born again, is 100% up to God. I mean, your name being recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life is between you and Jesus. But our lifestyle and how we live and the power and the potency of the kingdom of God being lived out in our choices and our decisions is very much conditional upon our choices and decisions. Let me give you a passage of scripture here that will bear witness with this from Philippians. Philippians 2.15. Philippians 2.15 uses a word that I really think is incredible. I'll give you the word and then we'll read the passage of scripture. The word is prove. I mean, proof is a powerful thing. To consider proof and what that means, I mean, proof in and of itself is, is an evidence it testifies, it, it confirms and affirms that, that what is, is believed or what is understood is actually true. And we see the word prove here in Philippians, Philippians 
Prove yourselves to be blameless, innocent children of God. Prove yourselves to be children of God, above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. Uh, The rest of this passage, uh, Philippians, uh, explains how we prove that, the things that we do, a a lifestyle with a mentality like Jesus, free from grumbling and complaining, surrendered to the will of God. But the idea that our choices and decisions serve as evidence, revealing what God has done in our lives, what he is doing in our lives, is a really powerful and wonderful truth to embrace. Let me give you a a passage of scripture here. I told you we're going to find uh, what God made you to be. And I think this is a really great thing to, to step into as we move into the holiday season. You're going to be around family, near family, communicating with family. I'll give you a passage of scripture from the psalm. Psalm 127, verse 3. I want to read it and then maybe talk about it for just a second. But Psalm 127, verse 3, it opens with the word behold. It's a call to get your attention. Behold, children are a gift from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Children are a gift from the Lord. Now, I've reminded myself of this as I've raised children or I've ministered to children. I mean, I served for years as a a children's pastor and loved working with with children in ministry and and have incredible memories there. In fact, I think uh, uh, it's a real challenge to function and operate uh, in a fruitful way in children's ministry. Children will not let you get away with anything. And I think when Jesus is calling children to the front row saying, hey, let the children come to me, what he's doing is he's saying, hey, you can, you can bring the, the tightest check system in the world right here and my word will stand. Because kids will identify any cheating. There's no cheating with kids. You can't get anything past them. They're listening, they're paying attention, and above all else, they're not embarrassed to ask questions. There's no fastball that's going to get past kids. And when we look at this passage of Scripture, children are a gift from God. What we confirmed when we opened up this this message was that every single person in this room is someone's child. That's really the point that I want to make. I want to talk to the individual person right here and now and say, based on this passage of Scripture, you are a gift from God. The idea that God brought you into this world No matter what situation you were born into, no matter what circumstances, whether your parents were great, whether they were terrible, whether they're present, whether they're absent, no matter what, the fact that you are a child is going to confirm that you yourself are a gift from God. And when I consider a gift from God, I have to ask myself, given to who? I mean, if I'm the gift, who am I bestowed upon? If you're the gift, who are you bestowed upon? I mean, God has sent you into this world with a wonderful purpose, that purpose to to carry out his will, to speak his words, to perform his actions, to carry his light. And the world is in desperate need of all of those things. I want to give you a a few passages of scripture here as we are talking about being, you know, children. And we're going to move through them very, very quickly. Uh, Psalm 50, verse 15, it talks about uh, one of the the benefits of, of being a child, and, and that benefit being a vindication and salvation. May he vindicate the afflicted, save the children of the needy, and then crush the oppressor. 
I mean, in every aspect of my life where I've needed to see God's hand move and all of the opposition and oppression that was against me be crushed, I've realized in that position, I need to realize, see, and embrace the truth that I'm a child. That he's a deliverer of the children. Uh, Psalm 34, 11, come you children, listen and learn from the Lord. In every aspect of my life where I've needed to grow and mature and obtain wisdom and, and, and understanding that I need to take on the mentality of being a child of God. Uh, Psalm 36, 7, how precious is your loving kindness, O Lord. The children among men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Again, a benefit of functioning and operating is a child being the protection and the provision of God. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. The fear of the Lord is strong and children will take refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one can avoid the snares of death. The idea that being a child of God not only positions me for protection in the short term, but also ultimately deliverance from the snare of death and to step into life. All of this identity that comes and all of the results of being a child of God, the benefits of being a child of God, are revealed throughout the scripture. Here's another example as we move forward. Psalm 90, 16, let your work appear to your servant and your majesty to their children. Have you ever desired to see God at work in your life? I mean, the situations where, where there's difficulty, where there's trial, where there's opportunity for hopelessness to, to rise up or, or any affliction or oppression or depression to be introduced into life, the, the need to see God at work is the solution to whatever you would be facing. And the fact that the scripture would reveal that God reveals his majesty to children makes me want to introduce into my prayer life, Father Let me be a child in your house. Teach me and show me. Let my heart be humbled that all of the the arrogance and the pride and all of the self-reliance that I have leaned on for so many years, let it all just come to a stop. Let it be viewed as vain and nonsense. And bring me back to a place of being completely and totally dependent upon you. I think it's a pretty amazing thing to look at the scripture and and see the things that set Jesus apart. I mean, here's one thing that set Jesus apart, and we've been invited to join with him in that consecration. The idea that he even referred to God as Father. That he would cry out, Abba. Now, that's not something that is meant to go away as a a one-time thing that was an entitlement of Jesus because he is the Son of God, but rather that's something that's meant to be an example that we follow in. It's the reason why Paul would write, and he would talk about what our spirit cries out and testifies when our spirit cries out in that spirit of adoption, that is, Abba, Father. That the need for our Heavenly Father rises up and transcends all other needs, that our spirit would even cry out to Him and cry out, not God, not Your Majesty, Not all-powerful creator, but that your spirit would cry out, Father, Dad, Abba. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that we're going to close with these two. I mentioned before we're going to find what God has done and what he's doing. And there's something fantastic that's attached to to being a, a child, to realizing that we're a child. And 
and it's at the foundation of the reason why we love to, to bless the children and invoke the blessing. It's not just, well, Jesus did it, so we'll do it too. But you see in the scripture that God is at work in every uh, person because every single person is somebody's child. Uh, I want to give you a passage of scripture here from Joel. Joel 2, 28 and 29. It's the promise that God will pour out his spirit. It reads like this. I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your children will prophesy, and your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. I mean, I love the idea that, that God is including all ages when he's talking about the outpouring of his spirit. And I can tell you that I read this and I don't think, well, I'll take prophecy until I'm older, and then I'll dream dreams, and then when I'm even older, I'll see visions. What God's doing here is he's including all ages in the outpouring of his spirit in the full measure of all that he is doing. That when we come to the realization that he's at work in our lives, that that spirit of adoption has cried out and that he has made good on his promise to be our heavenly father, the results of his spirit being poured out are powerful and they're not subject to age. I want to give you a passage of scripture here that, that we'll close with, revealing what the Spirit being poured out on your life results in. And I think it's a really great thing that, that Jesus would be the example in this and that he would read from the, the book of Isaiah and declare the purpose behind this work that God's doing on all children. That's you, that's me, that's every one of his children. Jesus took from the book of Isaiah and he read, you'll find it in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 and 19, the reason for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on your life. It reads like this, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because. I always stop after that because because I think it's a really important thing to consider what's being revealed here. That God would send Jesus to fulfill all prophecy to be the sacrifice once for all, to go into the grave and conquer death and, and, and bring holiness into existence into all who would believe, and that he would come out of the grave, that he would ascend to heaven and that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. All of this, this is one a tremendous effort to accomplish the following. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because, because God has anointed you to preach good news. God has sent you to proclaim release to those who are captive. God has sent you to bring recovery of sight to those who are blind. And God has sent you to set free those who are oppressed. And God has sent you to proclaim his favor. He's put his anointing on us so that we can continue to do the work of Jesus Christ. So that as Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, the kingdom of heaven continues to expand and to expand around the globe as the children of God continue to do the will of God all empowered by the Holy Spirit and the authority of the name of Jesus. I want to ask you to stand with me, and I want to sum it up and, and minister something before we part ways. It's one thing to put together a string of scriptures, and it's another thing to see God leading and guiding for the purpose of a work being done. And I know being a Christian and, and you know, understanding the need for forgiveness and, and receiving God's forgiveness, 
becomes such a, a foundational part of the believer's life that it, it's, it becomes almost the, the end when actually it's viewed in the scripture as being the beginning. What do we do with that freedom? And what do we do with that liberty? That right or that opportunity to live our lives as the children of God. I mean, we can introduce just even small little disciplines into our life for the purpose of not missing the opportunity to function as the children of God by identifying what would God have me do? What would my father instruct me to do? What would my father instruct me to say? How would my father instruct me to behave in this situation? I mean, to take on the mentality of being a child, one that is being taught, one that is being led, one that is being instructed and directed, is to take on the humble heart that opens the door for God's instruction, counsel, power, and authority to flow through our lives. And it's a different mentality than we're taught in, in most things. I mean, the world teaches us to be strong and independent and bold and assertive and all of these things. And the scripture would say, hey, all of that strength and all of that, that freedom and all of that boldness, let it be the result of surrender. That you could surrender your thoughts, your words, and your actions to God for his counsel and instruction. Be childlike. And when taking on that childlike mentality open the door for power and authority to be real evident and released through your life the passage of scripture there that said as many as received him he gave the right to be children of God is the passage of scripture that I want to minister I mean that right would imply that it's a choice a decision that that we can choose to function as God's children or we can choose to function some other way but I want to be conscious and intentional in making an effort, just like the word would say, trying to do what's pleasing to the Lord. I want to try to make an effort with my life to function as a child of God in every situation. And that's really what I want to pray, to exercise that right. Yes, I'm a Christian. I want to exercise my right to be a child of God in every situation in every conversation, in every obstacle, in every uh, difficult time, in every celebration, I want to handle it just like my Father would teach me. And it's really in that that we become like Jesus. He's the one that said, I say what I hear my Father saying. I do what I see my Father doing. And he's made a way for us to do the exact same. I want to pray for us this morning, and I want to trust that God will be at work in our hearts and our minds as he is. Father, we bless your name and we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for washing away all impurity and all sin and corruption. We thank you, Father, that we've been made the holy ones, the saints. Now let this work open the door for a life that brings you honor and glory. That we would exercise our right in every situation to be children of God. That we would stand out from the rest of the world, not being led by fear, anxiety, inferiority, uh, selfishness, greed, and the things that are in the world. But let us be led by the things that are of your kingdom. That our hearts would be humble to receive your counsel and your direction. That we would truly be childlike, looking for you to lead and guide. Let there be a patience to pause and to wait for your counsel and your direction. 
Let there be an effect on how we make choices and decisions. And let that effect bring you honor and glory. Let it be powerful and effective. Let us make the most of every opportunity to exercise our right to be your children. And let the authority of the name of Jesus and the power of your Holy Spirit be embraced and released through our lives as we live out our lives as your sons and daughters here on the earth. We thank you and we praise your name for this wonderful and powerful work that you've done. Let it be celebrated and embraced and let it bring you honor and glory. We give you thanks as your grateful sons and daughters. We say thank you in the mighty name of Jesus and all the saints declared, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.